Blog Talk Radio. atmosphere 
um, and then figure out how we're going to reduce emissions so that we limit the, the emissions in the atmosphere to the amount that will keep warming below two degrees. And then the countries in the agreement have to say, okay, well, here's how much we're going to reduce our country's emissions to be able to meet that target. And to do that, accurately, there needs to be a framework for measuring and reporting. So the ideals were all laid out for these values in the Paris Agreement. And then COP 22, 23, and 24, um, the tasks are to figure out how we actually pull it off. Um, and I want to share, Beth, an important concept in figuring out this rule book is common but differentiated responsibility. And that basically means that all states are responsible for addressing climate change, but as I said before, they have different responsibilities due to differences in their historic emissions and their places on the development spectrum. And so that's a, an area of tension that we really saw exposed at COP23 where there's, there's a common understanding that was agreed on in the Paris Agreement that we have different responsibilities to the, the warming that we're experiencing on this earth, um, but tensions about how to address our different responsibilities, how to name them, um, and, and hold different parties accountable for them. So shall I keep going on, or do you want to jump in here? Well, I was just going to say um, what was one of the things that was noteworthy is is that even though this was held in bond, this was hosted by Fiji, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And and so that was really a, a an effort to bring voices into leadership in some of the from some of the small island nations that are being most impacted by um, by climate change. I mean, we heard while we were there that in Fiji there are already forty five. Um, communities being slated for relocation and another 600 communities in Fiji being evaluated for relocation because sea level is rising. And so they are starting to make plans for how people are going to move. Um, I heard a, a story from another leader of a small island nation said, who said, you know, we, I, I look at my grandchildren playing and I wonder where they're going to live because I know they will not live where they're living now. So really, really um, vivid stories being brought to the fore um, in terms of the, the real-life impacts that are already happening. And then the, the Fijian presidency also really influenced the process. Um, one of the things that, um, that will be happening in 2018 is something called the Talanoa Dialogue. It originally had a, a different name. Um, the process, the, the, the thinking behind the process is it's going to be sort of a dress rehearsal for how countries do their measuring and reporting every five years so that they can increase their ambition and increase their commitments to the Paris Agreement. And the Fijian president said, well, let's make this process one that really calls upon um, Pacific values, our traditions of transparent and frank dialogue that honors the experiences and feelings of all participants. So essentially, they're going to be inserting indigenous wisdom into this UN negotiating process. Um, and, and that feels really hopeful and exciting. Well, and that's, that's really good that the small, I mean, we don't even think about it, right? I mean, we may think about hurricanes or mm-hmm. I know a lot of us in the community are concerned about the wildfires. But the reality of it is, is like unless you drink Fiji water, which we all know is terrible for the planet, um, you know, even though you want to support their economy, um, you know, one of those tensions in sustainability, 
uh, we don't really think about what's going on in Fiji, you know, unless you're planning a vacation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really valuable mm-hmm. that they were lifted and elevated to this world stage in this form, and I think you would agree. Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. So, But there's actual real work that happens at these things um, besides mm-hmm. the, the storytelling. So let's talk a little bit about that and what sort of the outcomes were this, this, this go-round. Yeah. So, so one was that decision around developing this dialogue that would be a dress rehearsal for the stock take, and that was a that was a significant conversation that happened. You know how we're actually going to report our emissions reduction so far, and how we're going to increase our ambition. Because you, may, you and your listeners may know that um, that while we have said, okay, we need to keep warming below two two degrees Celsius, the commitments that countries have made so far do not keep warming below two degrees Celsius. It's over two degrees, possibly up to three. Um, And so we need to actually, countries need to increase their commitments so that we can do what we say we're going to do under the Paris Agreement. Um, And so one of those those pieces of work that happened was figuring out how we're going to push countries to do that. Um, by doing this dialogue in 2018, the hope is that even though the Paris Agreement doesn't come in, come until start until 2020, um, that that countries will go ahead and increase their ambition and commitments prior to 2020. Um, another area that was worked on was around something called loss and damage. This is a part of the Paris Agreement that focuses on providing assistance to vulnerable nations that experience loss and damage due to climate impacts, like those small island nations. Um, Unfortunately, the decisions made on it were very weak. Um, They did not establish a permanent agenda item for implementing um, some kind of action around this. It just encourages countries to fund the committee and encourages countries to secure finance for loss and damage, but it doesn't bind them to do so. Um, so that's that's not a great outcome, and there will be continued efforts to push that. Um, Another another thing that happened was that a local communities and indigenous peoples platform was adopted. This gives indigenous peoples voice in exchanging their experiences and sharing best practices. So while they're not parties to the agreement, they will have formal voice in the negotiating process. And similarly, a gender action plan was adopted, requires women to be represented in all aspects of the convention process. And I have to tell you, Beth, um, I was really heartened to see the number of amazing women in leadership throughout the event. Um, it felt quite egalitarian, and, and I realized how refreshing that was for me as a woman working in the church in the U.S., to see so many women in strong leadership positions. Well, and that makes me very happy, too. I mean, especially in the season that we're in in the United States, which we will not go into. Um, but all of us listening know right now there's there's not a lot of hope. So it's really great that on an international stage that equality is happening finally in these conversations. And I'll just throw in mm-hmm. aside that uh, the vagina, Eve Ensler does this thing every Valentine's Day, and it's about uniting women. And I'll just never mm-hmm. forget her saying, you know, who is affected when the lights go out, right? And mm-hmm. she was linking that to climate change. You know, like when we lose electricity, um, you know, what happens? You know, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen and, and how it is truly mm-hmm. a gender equality piece. So that that's that that's hopeful enough for me today, actually, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the other big hairy gorilla in the room. So... 
the, this is the first COP where the United States was officially not a participant, and we did not have a pavilion. Um, we know there were plenty of Americans there. Tell us how that felt and how how um, how the interactions were regarding and around that topic. Well, yeah, you know, a bit of clarification. So, so here's what's happened. Trump has formally stated that the United States will pull out of the Paris Agreement. And so he has made that statement. But we technically, we are still parties to the agreement until 2020. Um, technically, the first day we can actually step out has, happens to be um, the day after the U.S. presidential election. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> isn't that ironic? Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, we are still parties to the agreement, and um, we did send U.S. negotiators to, to the climate talks. The first week of the negotiations is the, the more technical side of the negotiations where they were working on rules around transparency, like I talked about, and some of the technical details. And for that part of the negotiations, um, some of our, our historic negotiators came to the table and pushed similar positions that they have been pushing all throughout, you know, over the, the years of these convention of the parties um, around, you know, valuing transparency, you know, have, having transparency, essentially, just to keep it simple. Um, and, and so those are positions that we have held throughout administrations and, and continued those positions. The second week of the COP, some other U.S. government officials came and pushed a, a coal agenda, which was not well received um, because, of course, coal is a leading contributor to greenhouse gases. Um, but overall, the U.S. administration had the, the potential opportunity to do some damage to the Paris Agreement, and it did not. Um, and so that was that was heartening. It, it still was certainly hard to show up there as an American citizen, a U.S. citizen. Um, I was actually at the COP in Marrakesh last year, and, and that was happening during the election. Um, so we got the news while we were at the COP that, um, that Trump was elected, and, and we knew that he had indicated his plans to pull out of the Paris Agreement if elected. And so, um, so that, was, that was, in a way, a holocaust to be at as a U.S. citizen because suddenly we were in the role of trying to explain how, how this happened when it wasn't what people expected. Um, and, and so that was challenging. This year, the, the positive light that came from the U.S. was, was a group of, of U.S government and business leaders who did have a, a not exactly a pavilion, but a, a tent, um, and their theme was America's Pledge, and they essentially highlighted uh, state governments and businesses that had committed to um, reducing emissions in line with Paris Agreement um, standards, despite the federal government's uh, decision to pull back from the agreement. So that, that was a light. Um, I guess the other thing I do want to mention related to the U.S. is that even though we were present in the negotiations, um, the, the current administration has already started rolling back the mechanisms that would allow the U.S. to reduce its em emissions in line with um, the, the emission reductions we had committed to. Um, the Clean Power Plan would have uh, been the, the core mechanism for reducing emissions in the U.S., and now Trump is rolling that back. Um, and so even though we are in the negotiations, our actions currently don't put us on a trajectory to reduce our emissions at the level we had committed. 
Okay, so let's let's dig into that a little deeper because it is my understanding, and I am seeing um, out in the, the news media world that we as businesses and states, well, not but some states and and cities. I mean, cities have really taken the leadership on this that we will meet our target. So you're saying that is not true. I I think I'm more saying that the federal government's regulations will not put us in a position okay. to meet that target. So it is possible that through grassroots action at the local level, we can meet our target. I don't believe, I, I guess I, I don't have the data you have access to. My understanding is that we aren't there yet in terms of a, collective, a collection of um, commitments that would represent the, would be equal to our target, but that may be the case. Um, but I'm, I was more saying that our federal, um, our federal actions don't create a situation where that will happen through federal regulation. Okay. Um, yeah. So what I'm seeing, and this is this is from Bloomberg, is is that we are okay. already halfway to our targets. Um, oh, okay. Um, through the actions that have already happened. Yay! That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I mean, even even if Americans outside the the role of our formal federal government meet the targets, it's still not the same thing as the federal government being part of this process. Right, and if at the same time the federal government is rolling back regulations to make it easier to burn coal and that sort of thing, there also there may be a decrease in emissions from some sectors and an increase from other sectors. So it's it's hard to know. I mean, it, it, it truly is hard to know how this is all going to shake out, but I think it also just emphasizes the importance of local action at this time because that's that's where the only opportunity we really have for change. Well, and let's talk about that a little bit more because, you know, I am all about the local action. I, as a person of faith, in fact, I think it is um, important for each of us who are walking as a disciple of Jesus to exercise our individual right, whether our indi- I mean our individual part, whether our individual part is going to solve climate change. It's just part of, just mm-hmm. like you know, we need to be in prayer and be fighting for social justice and everything. We need to be doing our part to care for God's creation. And mm-hmm. um, and I really believe that that the individual actions they add up. Um, but we we have some leadership saying it's too late. What you do individually doesn't count. Where are you on that? Well, I think it's a both and. I think the individual action at the at the historically the the rate at which individual action has caught hold. Um if we continue at that rate, that will not be enough. And individual actions do contribute to systemic actions. So I think we need to be working in both places. I think we need to have integrity in our own lives. And we need to recognize that there are, especially depending on your economic situation, your geographic location, you know, there are a lot of factors that impact how we consume fossil fuels and how we emit carbon. Um, And so you have to take a hard look at at where you are and what resources you have available for housing, transportation, energy sourcing, um, and, and financing different things. And then say, okay, well, what systemic barriers are in the way for me living greener? First, what can I do to live greener with my current situation? And then what systemic barriers are in the way? So if, for example, you live in a rural area where there's not good public transportation, there's a systemic barrier there. It means that your your local government hasn't provided 
um, that resource for you. And so what can you do to engage your government to help create opportunities for transportation that are, are lower emission? Um, that's like one example. Another is, you know, where, where do your utilities get their power from? Um, if your most of your power is coming from coal, then that's a systemic barrier for you. And you have to look at either are there ways that you can you get solar access where you are or participate in a solar purchasing program, but also can you advocate with your utility to um, to utilize renewables in their energy mix. So so does that make sense, that both and? Yes. But, you know, I'll just say this. So I just feel like that if people of faith would just focus on food waste mm. in their local area, that it, it would be such an enormous transformation, right? Well, you know, um, I'm sure you saw the drawdown research that, that food right. waste, like reducing food waste is one of, the top ways that we can reduce emissions right now. Yeah, it's number three. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we've done a lot of stuff at Southeast Green with Drawdown, and that's what I'm thinking. And the food waste is, just, is such an easy one, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's so easy to make changes. Not that I'm actually living that because we got snowed out last weekend and I've got all the food from the Christmas tea that was canceled, but um, I'm confessing. I'm confessing. But, you know, mm-hmm. I just think that, that you know, just mindfulness and intentionality really, um, you know, it's very hard to track and keep the numbers, right? But mm-hmm. if, if everyone mm-hmm. just did their part, it really would make a huge difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like there are things we all can be doing to address our, or at least most people in the United States can be doing to address their consumption and how they use the resources that God has provided in their lives. Um, and I, I think it's incredibly important to be continually self-aware of your consumption because culture teaches us to, to not be aware of our consumption, to just consume mindlessly. Um, so that's something we have to, to work against all the time. Right. And, 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 and I think for those of us in the community, we also know how easy it is to sort of slip, right? And you just have to give mm-hmm. yourself grace and forgiveness and mm-hmm. do better the next mm-hmm. thing, right? Or you'll drive yep. yourself yep. insane. So let's get back to cops. All right, took us a little bit off. So um, you were in the process. You feel like we've got some good outcomes. What 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 happens from here? From from until the next one, COP twenty four. So between cops, there are intercessionals, which are meetings that happen, um, and they're a little bit lower profile. And the cops bring together both negotiators and a lot of observers from. Uh, NGOs and civil society. Um, and then in between, there are these intercessional meetings that are just, people can still attend them, but they don't as much. They're just less sort of big. Um, and, and so they'll continue to do work on negotiating what the rule book is going to look like and what the process is going to look like. Um, and then they'll do this facilitated dialogue, the, the Talanoa dialogue in 2018, to kind of do this trust, dress rehearsal for how they're going to take stock of what's happening and how we go from there. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, so much depends on what happens with, with local efforts to, to be um, – thinking about how they're going to transition their energy mixes. You know, as you mentioned, the importance of state governments right now um, in making commitments and business. And then there's just a reality that the market is changing for renewables, and it's getting a heck of a lot cheaper than it ever has been before to, to install solar. Coal continues to be on the brink, even as, you know, 
folks like our current administration are trying to revive it. Um, so there's some changes on the horizon that, that may have an impact as well. So if some, how does, so, I mean, COP, the COP process is very large, very governmental. It's, um, it's always exciting when I get to see you and John on video, you know, coming live from some exotic locale. But <laughs> for, what is the takeaway for, like, the average, just the average person, even if they're not into sustainability? What, what is the takeaway? How, how do they make it something real in their life, and how can they choose to and, and maybe engage? You know, I think for the average person that's not into sustainability, I would urge that person to consider getting into it because climate change is affecting every person on the planet, whether you know it or not. It is impacting the price of food. It's impacting the weather we experience. Um, and then it's, it's even if you aren't feeling it deeply, it's impacting your vulnerable neighbors in your community and around the world. Um, and so I would say start with where you are, as you talked about, Beth, you know, the, the importance of, of evaluating your own consumption around things like food issues. And then also finding organizations within your community that are engaged in some way, whether they're working on food or hunger issues with a client group, whether they're doing a, a film screening like you did at your church of Chasing Coral to, to learn more about the impacts of climate change. Um, figure out what your interests are related to it, because a lot of things that we're interested in as human beings connect with what's happening to the climate. Um, so I think looking where you are and finding a climate connection is a is a way to enter into the conversation and start being more mindful about it. Super. Okay. Well, we are out of time, so I want to make sure that if people want to see, because we didn't even talk about the Earth Keepers or anything the United Methodist Church is doing, so mm-hmm. where's a good place for people to go to find out more about what the United Methodist Church is doing on uh, create, well climate change? Yeah, well, for, uh, for my organization, United Methodist Committee on Relief, visit umcor.org, U-M-C-O-R.org, and there's a link to the Sustainable Development Unit where you can find creation care. Super. Hey, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, you know, rolling around with different (laughs) technical issues. (laughs) And um, we look forward to having you back on and talking about some of the other work that you're doing. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Have a great afternoon. Uh You too. Bye-bye. Okay, so, you know, uh, I always say we are dynamic and fluid around here at Southeast Green. We can roll with the punches, and we certainly had to roll uh, this morning. But it doesn't take away from the the extreme value of the work that Jenny's doing. And um, we're just so honored that we can have access to people at Southeast Green who are doing international leadership on on these topics. Um, I I do want to say that I hope she made COP23 or the COP process more meaningful because it is it's sort of like this big thing and it happens overseas and you know people go and they get excited and you know but you know what does it mean? So I hope we've given you some uh, good information on how that can um, relate to your own personal life and and even to your faith life. So um, it's Christmas time and you know uh, that means I'm going to date the podcast, but I'm just going to say to everybody. 
I'm hoping everyone has a Merry Christmas. I do want to tell you how you can get on our green business directory. Um, So let's listen to that real quick. Did you know that one of the ways we like to support the sustainability community is by providing an opportunity for businesses of all sizes to be in our green business directory listing? You should get on it because we are getting thousands of visitors every year on all sizes of businesses, and it's very exciting for the folks who are listed on the green business directory. This is what you do to get on. You go to southeastgreen.com. On the second tab, there is the green business directory listing. Click on that. There will be a drop-down menu, and you can join the green business directory listing today. Not only will you be on the listing, but you will be sent out to over 10,000 accounts on our social media connections, and you'll also be listed in our next newsletter. So what are you waiting for? Join today. So um, urging everyone to get on the Green Business Directory. It's am- And we've got people who have 10,000 views now, which is really exciting. So um, everyone, once again, have a very good holiday season, whether it's a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah, or you're just looking forward to a new year. And we're going to sign out with DJ Langs and Water Drops, There's no plans for another podcast before the new year of 2018, but don't be surprised if one gets squeezed in. So if we don't hear from you um, uh, in the next couple weeks, we will be back up and running in 2018, and we will look forward to more exciting conversations on Speaking of Green.